Exodus chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. Look at your name and say, it's a boy. Come on, look at someone else and say, it's a boy. I pray I can hear those words. We want four kids right now. We got three girls. And so church pray. I need a boy. A lot of estrogen. I'm going to get a dog or something, a horse. I need help taking out trash and stuff. I need a boy. I just felt that in the spirit. Let's just stay there a while. Well, she bare a son. It's a boy. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. But Moses, this little baby boy, this goodly child, healthy baby boy, he started to cry. He started to get too big. They had to get more groceries to be able to feed this growing baby boy, and she could no longer hide him. So she took an ark of bulrushes for him and daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reed by the river's brink. She laid it in the Nile River, that basket that made all the difference in the world in baby Moses' life. For the next few moments from Exodus chapter 2 and the story of Moses, I want to preach about the difference a basket makes. Look to your neighbor and say, the difference a basket makes. Look to someone else and say, the difference a basket makes. Amen. You may be seated. The basket really makes all the difference in the world. To help illustrate this, I need your help a little bit. How many of y'all have ever broken your phone screen? Anybody in here? There's a lot of y'all. Anybody have a broken screen right now? Like really broken? Maddox, you're right here. I need to come here. I need it like really broken, like shattered. Anybody with a really broken screen? I need it. Okay, yeah, bring that up. I can see it from here. That is, it's even worse than, than Maddox's. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Can you zoom in a little bit on that? Y'all see that just a little bit? That's pretty rough. You're taking this. You ever, you ever dropped your phone and you, the wind gets knocked out of you? Please don't let it be broken. When you lift it up and it's not broken, come on, somebody. <laughs> Revival. We're revived. I remember I was with one friend and we were playing basketball. I had those swishy pants on and it fell out of my pocket and it landed face down. And Brother Justin, as soon as it landed, I knew because I heard the sound. My heart sank. I said, oh, God, I, I, please don't let it be broken. Let that be my knee. That, you know, something. That would be way, but Brother Zach disagrees. I've never broken my knees. But let it be something else, not my phone. I took it to the store. It was an off-brand of like an Apple fix store, so, you know, just some crazy name. And I said, how much will it cost to fix this screen? And they said, $100. So it's early, so I'm not going to do too much math. But I worked at JCPenney's. Minimum wage was around $6 at the time. And so I started to calculate it. I said, Uncle Sam's getting at least a quarter of that. Whether he gets it or not, I don't understand all of it. They're just going to get my money. I'm going to make sure to give my tithes and offerings. And then, you know, I got to do gas and I got to eat and I got to do this and that. And so maybe $3 an hour. And I calculated it was about 30 something hours, two weeks worth of work to be able to, after paying all the bills and all that stuff, to be able to replace my iPhone screen. I finally saved up enough. But before then, it was months of having this broken iPhone screen. I did really good playing Candy Crush, just looking past the cracks. 
you know, certain letters didn't work. So I had to get creative in how I spelled things. And I had to kind of look at an angle at times. The speaker didn't work. And so I had to put everything on speakerphone and make sure to let people know that so that they wouldn't say anything crazy. And I was like, hey, my phone's not working. It's not the cell phone service. It's just, it's broken. How many have ever broken your iPhone or your Android before? Well, then came the day I finally had enough money, Sister Shannon, to fix it. A hundred and something dollars later, it finally got replaced. And I was about to walk out the store and just like any good salesman, he said, but wait, there's more. He said, there's these things called an OtterBox. Brother Bryce, if you buy it, it's tank resistant. They sent it off to war and they shot at it with tanks, apparently. It's, it's water resistant. They took it to the ocean and dunked it. And they made sure to do it in Jesus' name because that's how we baptize around here. And, and it still works. So you need an OtterBox. And I said, okay. And so I paid 60-something dollars to protect my phone. If we're willing to pay a lot of money to protect something like this. Can you give this back to her, Brother Maddox? Thank you. If we're willing to pay a lot of money to protect something so temporal, something that in two to three years, it's going to be outdated because the updates don't longer uh, uh, work anymore. How much more should we be willing to protect our eternal souls? More than a $1,000 device that's in your pocket. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I just want to make sure that I'm saved. I want to make sure my family's saved. The most precious commodity the most precious thing that I have in this entire world is my family. And so I have to do whatever it takes to create boundaries. Someone say boundaries. I want to do whatever it takes to make sure that my family is raised the right way because it's not just about this world. It's about that world. I want to make sure that we hide the word of God in our heart, that we might not send him, that we make sure that every day Jesus is at the center of our lives, that our whole world revolves around Jesus and his kingdom. Matthew 6, says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be taken care of. So I wonder, is there any elder that is so thankful for the decision that they made years ago when they built that altar? I'm so thankful I made sure to live according to the word of God. I know it hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been comfortable, but I love this word. I cherish this word. I'm not going to remove the ancient landmarks. Thank God for the word of God in my life. It's made all the difference in the world. When I was broken, the word is what helped me. When I was sick, I went to the word. When my family was struggling, I went to the word. The most important thing that you can get a hold of is the word of God. We must make sure to pass to the next generation that there is a God that loves them, that there is only one God, and his name is? That Jesus is the answer. He's not a way. He's not one of the many ways that you can go this way or that way. He said about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We live our whole lives for Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. My whole life is going to be centered around him. Everything I do, everything I watch, everywhere I go is going to be built on the firm foundation, which is the word of God. I just come to remind my family today that we are people of the word in the name. 
that while the world is falling apart all around us, while culture seems like it's collapsing, while there's division in the government, while there's wars and rumors of wars, while there's famine, while all this stuff is happening, earth will pass away, but his word is forever settled in heaven. And so we must make up our mind today to build our life on the solid foundation of the word of God. That's the most important thing I can do for my baby girls. That third girl that's on the way, and God, please hear me. That boy that's on the way, because I don't want more than four kids. I'm tired, Lord. Don't grow weary and well-doing. We must make sure to get a hold of his word. The things that worked for the older generation will still work today. I know they're saying this lie of, well, it's your truth and it's my truth. You do what's good for you and I'll do what's good for me. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. The word of God is absolute truth and that's why we build our life on it. We don't pass on rules or tradition to try to make our family live for God. We pass on a relationship with Jesus Christ. We complain that they've taken prayer out of schools and they're tearing down the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse. We've taken prayer in the Bible out of our own homes. It's time for us to center back, to recalibrate to the Word of God. I've started to take Kalea fishing and we, we're starting to develop some hobbies together, me and her. But more than passing on hobbies, I want to make sure I pass on holiness to my daughter. That we're separate from the world and we're separate unto God. It's not because we're self-righteous. It's not because we think we're better than anybody else. It's because I want to make sure that I'm living according to the word of God for him. It's not about here. It's all about there. Someone say there. Because boundaries, they always bring blessings. Safety is found in structure. My daughters, they both hate the car seat, Brother Jury. You're trying to put them in, and they're fighting it. They're, they're mad. They're angry. It seems like I'm abducting them because of the way they're screaming in a parking lot. No, no, no. It's insane. And that's my little girl, so I feel bad. Man, I'm hurting her. You know, is it too tight? Is, am I hurting her arm? And I'm just trying to get her in. But what kind of father would I be that tomorrow... When my wife and I take the 10-hour drive to St. Louis, we say, just sit wherever you want. Hopefully, you would call somebody, one of the alphabets, CIA, FBI, one of those, and let them know that my daughter's just roaming in the trunk of our van while I'm driving. Well, I know we grew up that way, but it's a different world nowadays. Cars are cheaper, and they just fold up. They're not tanks and heavy metal like back in the day. What kind of dad would I be? Oh, you want to sit up here? We'll take a hold of the steering wheel. Sit wherever you want in the car. That would be crazy. But what my daughter, who's three years old, does not understand is when I buckle her in, it's not that I'm trying to make her bound. It's not that I'm trying to oppress her. It's I'm trying to get her safely to a destination of where we're going. I'm trying to take her home. So if my three-year-old daughter can't understand that, how much more as adults and as parents should we understand that biblical principle that boundaries are not meant to bind us? Boundaries are not meant to oppress us. Boundaries are not meant to hold us down. It's helping us to get home because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So God, buckle me in. It's uncomfortable, but buckle me in. It's inconvenient. Buckle me in. It goes against what I want, but buckle me in. If it keeps me safe, if it takes me home with you, then God, do whatever you have to do. Speak into my life. I'm going to make sure that I fall in love with the boundaries. 
Because the boundaries make all the difference in the world. We don't do it because we're scared of stuff. We do it out of love. On the way to church this morning, my wife looked over to me and said, Yo, you look really handsome today. After I dry clean this sweaty suit, I bet you within the next two weeks when I head into the office at headquarters, I'm going to wear this exact same outfit again. Not because I'm scared. Oh, you better wear that outfit or you're going to sleep on the couch. You better wear that or you're, you're, you're going to kick out. You're in a doghouse. I wear it because I love my wife. I don't do things because I'm scared of the consequences. I do things for my wife, even when it's uncomfortable, even when I don't want to, even when it would be easier just to leave the trash piling up, to not help fold all these clothes and help fold the sheets on the bed. I, it would be so much easier just to hit, sit back and, and chill and not do anything, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to show my wife that I love her. How much more should we do that for Jesus who paid the ultimate price and he died on the cross for our sins? How much more should we live and a holy, godly life because we love him, not because we're scared of hell, not because we're seeing how close to the edge we can get, but how close to Jesus can I get? I'm not trying to live for God doing the bare minimum. I'm trying to live for God with everything that I am. He is the savior of the world. He's the love of my life and I choose to live for him. One more moment as a testament. Elders, can you clap your hands? I know you don't have the energy like you used to, but elders, as a testimony, can you just thank God for holiness? Can you thank God for separation that's brought us this far? Come on, elders, to the younger generation. Can you magnify the lifestyle that we get to live? It's not oppression. It's not bondage. It's safety. It's life and life everlasting. It's a life lived with Jesus. I just come to remind us that the boundaries make all the difference in the world. The boundaries. We are apostolic and our attitudes, actions, appearance, amusements, and associations, and every aspect of our lives, we put boundaries if it gets us safely to our destination. Not because we're scared, but because we love God. And Moses' mother did the same thing. She knew that she needed to make boundaries. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh charged all the people. He commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river. Someone say the river. The Nile River and every daughter you shall save alive. And I kind of feel like that. Those little boys in the nursery looking at my daughters. I'm going to have to fight them and take them out. None of them good enough. I feed my daughter steak so she has good taste buds. Applebee's ain't good enough. You got to take her like high. She's going to be high maintenance. But that's, Pharaoh didn't have daughters he was trying to protect from getting married. Pharaoh understood that the children of Israel were growing so big that if they decided to get together and fight, they would beat the Egyptians. So he said, we have to figure out a way to, to put them in slavery and bondage. We have to figure out a way to bind them, to stop them from growing. And so he said, all the boys two and under, throw them in the river. The animals, or the animals will devour them, or maybe the water, they'll drown in it. But it doesn't matter. Make sure that they perish in the river. Someone say the river. He devises his plan. Can you imagine this unfolding? You as a, a new mother, you as a father, 
You're just hanging out, and all of a sudden, the military just kicks in your door, and they start ripping all the baby boys out, and they start throwing them into the river. Can you imagine the screams and the cries? Can you imagine what the moms and the families feel? But there was a daughter that had a baby, and she was so in love, not scared. She was so in love with this baby. She saw that he was a goodly child, so she hid him three months. But Moses was getting too big. People were starting to notice. Other mothers started to realize there's something different. She's not coming out as much as she used to. What's going on? The pattern of life has changed, Brother Colton. And she could hide him no longer. Just like back then, there's going to come a day where I'm no longer going to be able to just be oversight over Kylea and Ira. They're going to have to make decisions for themselves. I told Brother Carl on Friday night, I was preaching in the crowd revival, and I looked out, and all of a sudden, his daughter was sitting there, and I had a midlife crisis. I said, am I really that old now? <laughs> when I left, I felt like she was still in the nursery, and now she's like driving and like, when did they get old? Delaney is, is in the youth group. All these kids are growing up. Dylan Robinson is in, the, is in hyphen now. He's graduated. What happened? There's going to come a day where our kids grow up. We're not going to be able to hide them. We're not going to be able to always protect what they watch and what they see, who they're friends with. And the world is looking to devour them. The world is looking to kill them. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy the next generation. Pharaoh was willing to kill an entire generation to prevent a potential leader from rising up and taking us to freedom. How much more is today's society like that? That an entire generation is being slaughtered from truth. An entire generation is disbelieving truth. All because Satan understands that your baby might be the baby that leads the entire revival. Your baby might be the next Peter of Pentecost, might be the next great missionary in Paul. Your children might be the next pastor, evangelist, missionary, teacher. And so Satan, just like Pharaoh, decides, let's kill all the babies. But Moses' mother loved Moses. She tried to hide him. She did her best to protect him. But there came a day where she could hide him no longer. And so what she did is she took an ark of bulrushes. It's pretty interesting that that word ark is the same word in Hebrew when Noah built an ark and saved his family. She built the structure. She daubed it on the inside and the outside, making sure it was waterproof. It probably wasn't convenient for her to try to do that. It was a dirty job. She had to get her hands down in the mud to make sure that it was sealed. She had to kneel down and be meticulous to make sure she was going to save her baby boy. But she did it because she loved and it made all the difference in the world. She daubed it inside and outside. Then she takes baby Moses and she lays him in this basket and she puts Moses in the river. She puts Moses in the same environment that every other baby boy was in. Yet Moses survives because of a basket. Every other child is dealing with anxiety and depression. Every other child is going crazy. Everything around them, culture is collapsing, but yet your family can be blessed. Your family can live for God.
But the only way is if the word of God is that boundary, that spiritual basket that we build around our lives, that though it might be uncomfortable, it's not about comfort and it's not about convenience. It's about making sure that my family is saved. The difference a basket makes is that your child can be different than any other child in the entire world because you're doing the hard work to make Jesus the center of your life. So she makes this basket and she sails it down the same environment, the same public school, the same community, the same technology, the same spirit of this age. Brother Miller, she sails Moses down the river. Pharaoh's daughter sees this basket. She's intrigued. And so she gets it and there. She finds Moses and she raises Moses as an Egyptian, but there was Hebrew blood flowing in his veins, and he realized there was something different about him. He was always discontent with living like an Egyptian. There came a day where he saw the children of Israel oppressed, Brother Reyes, and so he, he acted out, and he accidentally slayed an Egyptian, and he ran for his life because he was scared of the punishment. He went on the backside of a desert in the wilderness, and there he found a burning bush after years of being there. God spoke through all the things going on in his life and said, I have a purpose and a mission for you. But the only way you can hear the voice of God, Moses, is because somewhere back in the day, your mom made a basket for you. So Moses returns back. He's a lot older now. His baby fat's gone. His, his body's changed. He's a grown man now. His voice got deeper, kind of like Bronson's. He was, when I met him this time, I was just like, man, that's Bronson. That's a grown man. All these kids are growing up. And Moses walked back in. Can you imagine what Moses' mother felt when her baby boy, that's not such a baby anymore, walks back into Egypt? He points his finger at Pharaoh and says, let my people go. God has sent me here on a mission. We're going free. Imagine how proud Moses' mother was. Nine plagues happen, and Pharaoh's hard head and hard heart prevents the Israelites from leaving. But then that tenth plague, darkness, is in the land. And any family that doesn't have blood on their doorpost, their firstborn son is dead, dies in the night. There's screams throughout the land of Egypt, but not in Israel's camp because of the lamb that was slain. And Moses' mother in the silence and in the, the silent rejoicing because all the Israelite baby boys were saved because of the sacrifice. She thinks back about that basket. I would have never experienced this if I didn't build a basket. That boundary for my son's life. Pharaoh finally says, go, leave. They give riches and gold and money to send the children of Israel out. They're leaving with all this wealth to the promised land. Generation after generation after generation talked about the promised land. But now Moses' mother is one of the first in the generation to step out, out of bondage, out of oppression, into the direction of the promised land. And as her son is leading the charge, he's leading the children of Israel. She thinks back at that basket. Thank God I made that basket. It made all the difference in the world. I get to be free because of what my son is doing. And the only reason my son is living in his purpose is because I made a basket. 
All of a sudden, as a piano player comes there, faced with the Red Sea in front of them, and Pharaoh's army is behind them. Pharaoh's army is coming to destroy the Israelites. But Moses steps up, and with his rod and the miraculous power of God, the Red Sea parts in two. Moses' mother says, thank God for that basket. I did my best to hide him, but I know that I cannot hide him forever, and so I, I put some kind of boundary in place to protect his life. They walk on dry land, and Moses' mother's heart is rejoicing because of the basket from years ago. They make it to the other side, but now the Egyptian army is chasing after them. They're scared. Panic is around the children of Israel. But then all of a sudden, the waters collapse, and they erase the Egyptian army off the face of the earth. Somebody gets a tambourine. They start singing a song that you can read about in Exodus. And Brother Townsend, she's a lot more fragile than she used to be. She doesn't have all the energy that she used to have. But as she thinks back and she looks at that water that's now rushing and she sees chariots starting to float, she looks at where God has brought her from. She thinks even further back and she is listening to the sound of that tambourine and the rejoicing. And she's just thanking God for that basket. Thank God that I made a boundary in my life when it wasn't always comfortable, when it wasn't convenient. It wasn't about that. But we're heading to a destination all because the basket made all the difference in the world. Thank God for the basket. In the wilderness, manna rains from heaven and water comes from a rock. She's miraculously being provided for. All because years ago, she made a basket. So I've just come to remind my family, let's not despise the basket. Let's not throw away the boundaries. It's got us this far. It's brought us this far. And so whatever we have to do to weave that basket, to daub it, to make sure it's waterproof, that the culture doesn't get in, we can survive in the same environment that everyone else might be spiritually perishing in. If we make a basket, the church, the word of God will survive in any environment. It's proven itself time and time again, but we have to make sure that culture doesn't get in it. A ship can survive any storm if the water doesn't get in it. And so we make sure that our biblical boundaries are not affected by the world around us. The difference a basket makes. So to fathers, I'm a young father. I, I definitely don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. But I challenge us. Let's be men of God. Let's be men of prayer. Let's not be lazy and take the back seat. Let's raise our families. Let's train our children up in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Let's do the hard work. That's what we're made for. Let's provide and let's protect. Let's get our families to heaven. Let's build a basket today. Well, I'm not emotional. Uh, you know, I'm just not emotional. We're passionate about sports and politics. Let's show our families we're passionate about the word of God. Who won, Georgia or Alabama, a few months ago? That was emotion. We, we talk about that. And we're passionate for those things. But let's make sure that we have that same level of passion, if not more, for the word of God in our homes. Because it is our job to be priests of our homes and to protect 
our families to mama bear. You're fighting your best spiritually for your kids. Keep up the good work. Don't give up now. You are making a difference. See, mothers, sometimes you don't feel like you get the credit that you've earned. But what our kids eat, their hobbies, entertainment, all that stuff is directly because of your influence in the homes. So thank you to the moms for raising the babies in the fear of God and in the wisdom of the Lord. Keep up the good work. Don't stop now. I know it seems really convenient to let up the guard, to let go of boundaries, but hold on to the boundaries. Well, sin has broken the ideal. Paul wrote to Timothy, stir up the gifts that are within you by the laying on of hands of your mother, and your grandmother. The, a man wasn't mentioned in the equation. So though sin has broken the ideal, you can rewrite your story today in an altar. You can make up your mind that the next generation isn't going to go through the same stuff that you went through. But the only way is if we build a basket, not if we let go of boundaries, not if we send our kids out into the same environment as every other kid, but if we give them some biblical boundaries to live by. To the students. Thank you so much for your hunger for God. The way you prayed on Friday night, the way you worshiped at Youth Congress. Let's go home and show our families I'm serious about living for God. Whatever it takes, I will serve the Lord. That's not just tradition. It's not hobby. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. We are people of the word of God. Well, I'm single. You're a part of the family of Christ. And when you worship, it shows someone else that they can worship. When you serve in chips, it allows somebody else to realize they can serve. And when you're on the guest team, guest services team, when you're on the altar team, on the media team, it's allowing other people in this church to look at you, who you have influence over, and to follow your footsteps. So Atlanta West, I come with a really simple message today. The basket makes all the difference in the world. And I feel the spirit of this age is coming against the global church. It's not that serious. You don't have to live like that. And it's kind of like the serpent questioning God's word in the garden. Did God really say that? I've come to let you know. It's not what I believe or if you trust me or not, but trust the spiritual basket. Trust the word of God because it makes all the difference in the world. I beg a father today, please, for the sake of your kids, don't let them perish. I beg a mom today. It's hard raising kids, believe me. I know. I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. But what will it profit me if I gain the whole world, if I lose my soul? In other words, the worth of a soul is the entire world. You can take this world, but I just want to make sure that Kylie and I have a basket because I'm not going to always be able to hide them. They're going to get old enough to make their own decisions, but I have to do something when they're young to make sure that they can survive to when they're old. Can we all stand up right now? I see tears swelling up in people's eyes because you came to church because that's what you do. But today you felt challenged. It's not what we do just because family goes here. I need to have a hard conversation on the way home. 
I know I used to let you do that. But I'm going to put boundaries in your life. I, I know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation with your spouse or with your kids. But if it saves their soul, it's worth it. It's worth it. So build a basket. I speak to a guest right now. You felt something in today's service that you haven't felt anywhere else. It's God. And he's the only thing that's going to fill that God-sized void in your heart. So though you don't understand everything, trust the word of God. It's a firm foundation you can build your life on. My eyes are closed. So I'm not directing this at anybody, but I feel it. Speaking to someone that was raised in the church, that's been a part of a Pentecostal church for generations. But your grip on the basket has just slipped a little bit. Instead of making sure it's waterproof and tight, you haven't put all the effort for yourself, for your family. I wonder if today you can change that. Maybe you have to have a conversation and say, give me a Bible study. I'm questioning stuff. God's not scared of your questions. He's not scared of your doubt. He's not scared of your fears. Maybe you need to ask Brother Joel, Brother Jury, Brother Ryan, Pastor John, Sister John, hey, can you teach me a Bible study? Even if you've been raised in this church, just help me to understand this. I'm, I'm losing my grip a little bit. I'm not building it. It's not as tight. My family's kind of drifting away. Could you help me build my basket? I know Kailea doesn't like being in the car seat. But a good father that I'm trying to be will put her in it anyways because I'm trying to get her home. God is preparing a place for you. And sometimes it feels like oppression, but that's a lie from the enemy. It's blessings and safety. Can we all close our eyes right now? I want us to examine our hearts. I want us to be honest with ourselves. The basket makes all the difference in the world. What's the condition of your basket? You're not going to be able to hide your kids anymore. And you living in convenience is going to get the next generation to live in compromise. Have you been cold to the presence of God? Why don't you go back to your first love today? I know it feels like I'm strapping you in right now. God through me feels like you're kind of getting tied down into the car seat. But he's trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to take you home. He's trying to save your soul. We hear the voice of the Lord today reaching for you. His presence isn't a sign of endorsing your lifestyle. It's his mercy reaching to pull you closer. Let's not live out of fear, but let us fall once again in love with the holy God that died for us. Can you make your way to this altar right now? Can you find somewhere and get alone with God and search your heart and confess your sins to him? Can you be honest with God about the condition of your life? not scared of your questions. Ask them. Please ask them. Don't just go away to the river without asking. 
I'm begging you. Get the biblical boundaries. Come on, students, whether your parents are doing it or not, you can make up your mind when you're no longer able to be hid by your parents that you're going to find the Word of God and you're going to learn it for yourself. I know the pressures of culture are collapsing around us and it's so hard, but it's time to build a basket. It's about eternity. If you're going to protect the $1,000 device in your pocket, how much more should you protect your soul? How much more should you protect your eternity? Fill that basket. Make sure it's waterproof, that it's tight, that it's ready. Come on, that ark of bulrushes, that same word that Noah built and took time. It was effort, it was dirty, but it saved his soul, it saved his family. Whatever I must do, I have to be saved. Whatever I have to give up, whatever things I need to be separated from to be separate to God, I'm willing to do so that I can be saved. Whatever safety measures I must have, I have to be saved. That's it, will you cry out to God right now? I know you haven't always gotten it right in the past, but why not start today? I know you've made a lot of mistakes in the past, but why not start today? I know you have regrets from yesterday, but why not start today? Make up your mind right now. I'm gonna build a spiritual basket. It makes all the difference in the world. I'm not gonna let myself or my family perish in the waters of this culture. We're gonna build an ark. We're gonna build